Hi there, welcome to the More Civil Podcast. This is a podcast for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them. I am Mo, and I am your host, ready to spark your curiosity as I take you on this adventurous ride of exploring cultures through the stories of my guests from all over the world. On this show, we get really personal, discussing salient issues that are relevant to our contemporary age and also building community around them. As our guests exercise courage and vulnerability in sharing their life's experiences, we hope that in turn you are inspired by them and that you get the courage in it to set your own stories free. Enjoy the ride and thank you so much for listening. Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. And today I am excited about this guest because their story and their purpose is a true embodiment of what we are about the show. Cross-cultural collaborations or even exploring cultures. As you guys know, you know, I'm I'm really big on all of that, you know, cultural curiosity. So today with me is Danielle Dean. She's a globally mobile Afro-Latina and first-generation North American who, by the age of 19, lived in and identified with seven cultures on five continents, guys. <laughs> That's super impressive. Dani is passionate about creating community for cross-cultural populations, and she has presented around the world as a keynote at conferences, universities, and in media as a lifestyle expert focused on entrepreneurship, marketing, and cross-cultural identity. With this background, she has developed university curricula, curricula for global cultural identity. She's also faculty at the Colorado State University. She uses her global and multicultural background to position cultures, which is her magazine, as the first ever digital first print publication and product marketplace of its kind, one that addresses global and mobile cultural identities with emphasis on hitting 21st century diversity. Donny has had the pleasure of consulting for iconic brands such as Coca-Cola, NBC Universal, Turner, and Warner Brothers, while keeping her main goal of making a difference front, front and center. Everyone, please join me in welcoming Donny to the podcast. Hello, hello. I am so excited to be here. You're, you're, same here. Thanks for coming. Your, your repertoire is very, very impressive. I mean, looking Thank at what you've done and at such a very young age of 19 and, you know, that ability to travel and I guess privilege to travel and explore different cultures. So let's just get started with a very, you know, I'm not going to ask you, tell us more about you. We kind of know more about you, but just tell us a little bit about your childhood and what events would you say um, has shaped your word, your view about the world? Oh gosh, what event? Well, so you know what? I don't think it was an event. Honestly, I think it was my parents. So here's what's key about my childhood. Um, so my dad is Costa Rican. My father, my mother is Trinidadian from Trinidad and Tobago. I have to clarify because there's a place in Colorado called Trinidad and people mix it up. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's a country off the coast of Venezuela. That's the next thing. They don't know where it is. It's off the coast of Venezuela. So uh, you literally could swim to Venezuela from Trinidad. And um, 
I only lived with my family about seven years. If I add up all the years, seven years of my life. And I didn't realize that until I was about 24. And my little brother, who's, who's much, much younger than I am. So he's a child. He actually, I was his guardian uh, when I was 24. And uh, he's trying to get to learn more about me because I was in college when he was literally a toddler, right? And uh, he kept asking these questions. I was like, why are you bothered? Why are you asking me all these questions? Leave me alone. You know, the first few, I'm like, okay, I answer, I answer. But he just kept getting more in depth, more in depth. He's like, I want to know how you grew up. So the result of that, though, at the end of the conversation, after listening to all of his probing questions, I realized I didn't spend a lot of my life with my family, right? And so I added it up. It was seven years. I actually told my mother the other day and she said, no, she, I don't know. That's not true. I'm like, it is true. Add it up, right? And I say that because having only spent seven years with them, the effect they have on my life is profound, right? My father um, is a dark-skinned Black man from from. Costa Rica. And my mother actually was really like, we talk about that too. She's like, I'm not like, <laughs> but in my eyes, when we were growing up, I'm like, no, you're very light. My, my little brothers and their father, who's different than mine, um, are more her coloring. And my older brother and I are my dad's coloring. So it's, uh, it's really interesting to hear her say that, but whatever. Anyway, um, she really, I think her experiences as a woman as well, and in the age that she grew up and growing up in Trinidad and Tobago and then coming to the United States as a teenager. And then my fr- father was later in in his teen years and he had been at seminary, right? And he was denied being a priest because of his skin color, right? And moving to the United States in, at the height of the civil rights era, you know, I think all of those things shaped who they are as people. And I had the luxury of them taking what they couldn't do with their lives and basically subtly infusing that into me that, okay, you can do whatever you want, right? You can be whatever you want. And this whole global culture identity thing, who knew, right? Because there are challenges that come with it, but there's a lot of gifts that come with it as well. My mother, I didn't realize until two years ago, I mean, I'm a TCK scholar or a third culture kid scholar. I've been studying this for 18 years. Um, And I'm sure we'll talk about what a third culture kid is. But it didn't occur to me until a couple of years ago that both my parents had some dimension of TCK-ness. And once I realized that, I understood them even more than I did before, right? That's the power of having research into a specific type of identity and how people are affected by how they grow up. And so my mom taking me at two weeks old from New York City to Trinidad and Tobago and my first accent uh, being Trinidadian going to Spain when I was five and coming back to the U.S. to New Mexico. Okay, I was born in New York. Now I'm in New Mexico. Little did I also know in between I had been in Detroit and um, Minnesota and then going to Turkey. And I went to university at um, in Berlin. There's all these cultures mixed up in there. And then we have the Costa Rican culture and what that means and what it means to be a woman versus a man and having an older brother and how um, my family on both sides treated him versus how they treated me. All those things wrapped up into one. Um, and my parents having the wherewithal, again, subtly. I mean, they said it out loud, but it's not like they, uh, you know, 
banged it into my head, but they would subtly say things like, oh, you don't need to have a boyfriend or, or, oh, you know, you should pay attention to school. Oh, this is what you should do with your life. And those things soaked in that in addition to having these experiences in brown cultures, white cultures, all types of different people, indigenous cultures, and absorbing all of that and adding it to the experience that they had, that is really what profoundly affected me more than anything else. Wow. Seems like this, apart from just the intrinsic cultural heritage you have with your mom being from Trinidad and Tobago and your dad being from Costa Rica, you even above and beyond that, even some of the external stuff, like the places you had to visit and having to come to that point where you saw all of that. And that has also informed your, I guess, your process to, to date. And so thanks for sharing that. But I'm also curious to know, um, in your bio, you had said that you not only lived in, you know, different places, but you've also identified with seven cultures. Now, we live in a world where identity is such a word that is kind of tossed around here and there. And people can say, oh, I identify with this, I identify with that. When it comes to culture, there's always this thread you have to, like, balance carefully and do it respectfully. So let me give you an example. I'm Nigerian. You know, I've lived in the U.S. for 10 years. And about, I want to say, four years ago, I started learning Korean. And there's a part of me that that, that loves culture, Korean culture, and I have a healthy respect for it. I mean, there's some things about, you know, the culture as a whole that I, I look at, I'm like, eh, that's weird. But I, I have an understanding of it. But there's sometimes I feel like I need to be very careful in how I talk about it. So that way I'm not being, I guess, flaky about it. So what is, how do you say you identify with, you know, um, seven cultures? And what's that, how do you express the identity also, while having full respect for, you know, I guess what it means to be um, multiculturally inclined. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I knew we would get to it. We got to it sooner than I expected. But the whole third culture kid thing. OK, so let me explain what that is. And when I say I'm a third culture scholar, so I I, I teach a class at Colorado State University called Media and Global Culture Identity. So Cultures Magazine, which I'm um, editor-in-chief of, focuses on this, and my class is based on this as well. And it's really about the in-between spaces. So people who straddle culture, race, ethnicity, nation, or location. And when you say nation or location, what that means is um, location is a domestic third culture kid. I will explain in just a second. And nation is a third culture kid. And what these two types of individuals are is they're geographically mobile. In the case of a domestic third culture kid, you're mobile throughout one country. Um, And in a third culture kid, domestic third culture kid, that's that one in case I said it wrong. And a third culture kid is globally mobile, geographically mobile on a worldwide scale. And both are culturally fluid. And so what that means is the fluidity comes when you go in and out of cultures and you have to know how to be in each of those cultures. Okay. So all of this, it's important. Time and place is important. It's important when this happens to you. It has to be before the age of 18. The reason being, and and the key years are like four, 
to um, probably about 15, but up to age 18, many of us are still forming our identities. It's key because we are learning who we are. We're learning how to be in the world. And you look externally to what's around you for that surface culture to teach you what how we do things around here, right? And that helps you decide who you want to be as a person and what your identity will be. Now, of course, we have deeper culture, which is the norms that happen in each culture as well, that not just the food, not just the clothing, not the surface items, but how what our values are in this culture. And you can imagine, so let's start with a domestic third culture kid. Um, well, let me say one more thing. So with a third culture kid, you have your home culture. That's where your passport typically is from, but it gets complicated because in my case, I can have three passports, right? Trinidadian, Costa Rican, and, um, us, right? Um, your home, that's your home culture, your first culture. Your second culture is your host culture. Those are all the places you've lived who've hosted you. In my case, that's six additional cultures, okay? And then that brings you to your third culture. The third culture is born of your experience rather than your environment, okay? Most people who grow up in a homogeneous culture grow up learning from their environment. Auntie told you, okay, this is how we do birthdays around here. You know, your teacher tells you this is what you do at school. The nation tells you, okay, pledge allegiance if you're in the United States, um, we, we're all about mom and apple pie and baseball, right? But in Costa Rica or Trinidad, we're about football, right? <laughs> what's this? Well, actually, baseball too. Now, now they say that. But you know, what's this apple pie? <laughs> <laughs> Soccer all the way, yeah. Yes, right. And why are people um, um, putting their hands on their heart when they come to class in the morning? Like, what's that about? So, when you're a domestic third culture kid you have the norms of the nation that are your backbone. But think about it. If you go from Los Angeles to, let's say, Colorado, to Louisiana, to Maine, each of those are very distinct cultures. And if, let's say, you're a teenager or a a middle schooler, you now have to learn how to act in all of those different cultures. What foods do they eat here? What clothing do they wear? I'm I'm a kid. Do I fit in? Do I have friends? Can I make friends? How do I fit in this situation? But at least you have the backbone of the United States and the national culture and the deeper values that go with it. That's a domestic third culture kid. Then a third culture kid, which is geographically mobile, takes it to the next level. Now you don't have any foundation. Every culture you go to could be completely different. The values are different. The food could be different. The clothing, everything is different. And you need to learn how to interact in those situations. So cultural fluidity is when you're able to go back and forth on the scale to seamlessly move through cultures. Uh, Sometimes not so seamlessly, but you still know how to do it. (laughs) It's like code switching. You kind of know how to like fit in. Exactly. Exactly. You, and, and to survive, you have to learn how to fit in. Some people do that. Well, some people don't do that so well. People decide as adults, how their lives will be based on how they learned as a child. But the key is it must be while you're forming your identity and that changes who you are fundamentally. So I always say people who grow up in a homogeneous culture grow up on uh, concrete, like a concrete slab. And when things are moving around them, they, they have a nice stable base. People who are fluid grow up on beach sand. 
And so as the sand shifts and moves below them, they have to learn how to stay stable. And that's what cultural fluidity is and third culture kids, which I'll give you some examples. Military brats. Missionaries. Yeah. Missionary kids. You got it. You Mm -hmm. got it. Um, Refugees, educational um, adoptees, international adoptees. Ambassadors, um, like people's parents that are like dignitaries or ambassadors or things like that. Yes. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. And there are more than 388 million people around the globe who live outside of their, excuse me, 328. That's as of um, um, 2018. There are more than that many people around the globe who live outside of their passport countries. So you can imagine the opportunity, how large this this section of people are that grow up with cultural fluidity. Now, a lot of people that I run into, because, you know, we have a lot of digital nomads now. We have a lot of people who are traveling globally. It's more affordable now. And um, and people say, oh, that's me. That's me. And it's like, OK, well, you start traveling after the age of 18. So that does expand your worldview and changes your point of view. However, your identity most likely was already set by the time you started doing that. And that's called a third culture adult. Okay. TCA. Yes, at TCA, you got it, you got it. So I'm I'm an adult third culture kid. So I was a kid when I, my form, my identity was formed globally, and now I'm an adult who had that experience. Versus a TCA, their global identity forms after the after age, age of eighteen. And yep. if you want to take it the next level, go study and become a top culture scholar. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's right. I don't have to bore you with all the details, girl. I get it. I get it. Um, I guess my next and thanks for that detailed explanation. I think that was very useful for our listeners. Like, what, according to you, would you say are the most important things to bear in mind when it comes to cross-cultural communication? And I say this because I think we are at the risk of losing, you know, that cultural curiosity and exchange, especially with issues like you know the extreme end of things like cancel culture and over glorification of cultural norms. Like you can't wear this, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't ask that. It's like there needs to be a space where I feel like we can still explore differences without putting labels on them. How do you think we can mitigate these pesky issues, like the extremes on on both ends that are, you know, mocking the waters? Look at you with the good questions. (laughs) Thank you. Well, so that's a fantastic question. And my thing that I talk about all the time is empathy, empathy and vulnerability, right? And I didn't steal that from Brene Brown. I was I was talking about that for a long time because I really feel. <laughs> I really come up with those words, by the way. Empathy. I did, <laughs> I they were bringing the dictionary away before, but good on half for, you know, making it sell. Oh gosh! But it's 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 important to put yourself in the other person's shoes, and I say that because, you know, I've had to learn over time to be vulnerable. We're often taught to be strong, and that strong means that you're rigid, right? Well, the more strong, the reed is the strongest because it can bend. It's fluid. It bends in the wind with anything that comes. It's able to bounce back where as a stiff board, if the hurricanes come, now that board is just cracked and sometimes broken in the middle, right? You're never the same after that. So 
to be vulnerable, I think is such a power. And I've learned over time, especially in this third culture kids space, you know, when I was younger and many third culture kids think this way, you think, oh, I'm so multicultural. I'm so open. I've lived just in so many places with so many people. I get it. I get it. And you do to a certain extent. Your worldview is broader than most. Your acceptance of other people and other cultures and understanding of how people think is typically broader than most. And what you can't lose sight of is you cannot think you're the expert because none of us will ever be the expert. There's always more to learn. There's so many people in the world, so many cultures, so many different ways of being. The important thing is to be open to that. So to be vulnerable, and let me tell you, I'm good at this, what I'm about to tell you. (laughs) To be vulnerable is to put your foot in it as far as I'm concerned, right? Like I step in stuff all the time and people are like, oh my God, you made that faux pas? Well, I'm so used to making faux pas because I grew up in all these cultures and you move from one where, you know, slurping soup is considered so gauche. How did you dare? And then in the next culture, it's like, oh, you didn't like my food. You weren't slurping, right? It's like, so you have to learn those things and you get used to making faux pas. And I refuse to be embarrassed. It's like, okay, I did that. Now I've learned the lesson. Let me absorb that lesson and I'll take it on to the next time, right? And so there's times when I'm not, sure how to move forward. So I'm just candid. I'm just open. I'm very transparent. And sometimes people think that, you know, that's a, that's a faux pas, what you just did. And I say, okay, I accept that. Thank you. Give me my, my, my scolding. And then I learn for next time. Right. But I do think vulnerability is important and being open is important because if you're vulnerable, it doesn't, you don't try to act as if You don't act like you know or keep your mouth shut or just say the PC thing because that's what's accepted. You're willing to push the boundaries and take the risk and be embarrassed so that you can learn and become bigger. And with that, empathy is important because, um, you know, we have these third culture kids who think they're very, myself included, right? Think they're very open But we have to remember always to be open, always to have empathy for that other person. And I'm constantly pushing myself to remember that I have to put my check myself in check at all times because you have to remember you don't know where the other person is coming from until you ask, until you probe. And that is how we can make a difference. I love that empathy and vulnerability. And I think that as much as we always want that to be applied to us, we should be equally as gracious in dishing out to the other person. Especially when it comes to like learning about cultures. I like to teach people stuff. So, and sometimes I help with reframing of questions. So take, for example, one of the things I used to hear a lot when people know that I'm from Nigeria is, hey, you know, are you going back to your country? And I, of course, there's a way it kind of like goes over your head, like, uh, what are you trying to really know? Are you really, really worried about my geographical patterns or you're thinking I'm going to take away your job? Or You know, and I was saying a very fun way to help them reframe the question. And I didn't really realize that they actually was getting at something else. Now, there are some that you can always tell that they're just being very honorary about it. But for mm-hmm. but there are some people that are genuinely, really curious. And I feel like at the risk of shutting everybody out and making people scared to express questions, we might be losing that those teachable moments, but thanks for your your response. Yes. And there was something you said in I think this was your um your little blog that was sent out to me. You said you know being politically correct won't get you 
where you went, where you want, and why it's it's not a proactive um, approach to change, understanding or equity. What do you mean by this? And a follow up question yeah. to that would be: What does diversity mean to you? Okay, so in terms of the political correctness, I would say the growth is is unfortunately where the pain is. I know. Right? <laughs> It's, you know, when you feel that sting, when, when someone says something to you and you know that they're right and you didn't really mean to do that, or you're ashamed that you did it or you forgot or whatever the case may be, but it stings and it hurts and we don't want to live there, but it's important to stay there and learn the lesson. So you don't do it again. It's, it's not, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm going to shut down now. I'm going to shut up. I'm not going to speak of this again, or I'm not going to say anything. I mean, so to your second question, what is diversity? When people talk about diversity and they're scared to, they're scared to put their foot in it. Right. So they just sit back and they let things happen. They listen to their friends say things that they may not think is appropriate. People do things inappropriate because it's too scary to put your foot out there and potentially be wrong. The other side of that coin is, um, it's the same. I said I had a conversation in Peru with someone about this. That it was a very teachable moment. It was so shocking. Like it took my breath away. I was like, <gasps> and I also knew the person who said it did not at all mean it the way it came out. Okay, the person it was directed to was very gracious and also kind of put them in their place. Like, yeah, I'm used to making people making fun of. Well, in this case, what they said, I'm used to people making fun of my race, right? And the room, the energy, let me tell you, this was an upbeat room. We were at a party. Everybody's having a good time. All of a sudden, everything stopped. It was like silence. People were like side-eyeing each other. Like, what do I do? What do I do? And so I shared with this person who made the comment. And then they very slowly, when I say slowly, it was like this. Do I say the next words? (laughs) They were trying to finish their statement because it was a joke. But it was too late. What they had said previous to the the punchline was so impactful that everybody stopped, right? And I said to them, you know, well, basically we, we had a teachable moment. I won't go into it. And so many people then were, there was another person in the room that was quick to apologize, right? I'm sorry, sorry. you know, they tried to explain it away. And I'm like, no, 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 you need to hear this. I need you all to hear it. Because the point was, hey, we all in this room love you. So hear what we're saying. Because then next time, that person might not love you. And you won't get the same reaction. (laughs) So I'm trying to help you out. But the other person then jumped from trying to explain it away to, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And my point was, that doesn't help either because you're still not hearing. You're still not absorbing. You're still not growing. You just jump to defense and then from defense to apology. But nowhere along the way did you hear the word. The words were intended to help you. I didn't have to say those words. I could sit back in my comfort zone and be like, look, next time that happens, watch out because that might be Martha who's about to knock you off your block, right? (laughs) But I took the step to say, okay, I'm going to have the discomfort of having this tough conversation because I would hate for it to see something negative happen to you. And 
let's grow from this, right? So that's what the apologies are. I mean, it's unfortunate when I see people who really, really mean well, and they think apologizing is the way to show that they are, um, I guess, yes, yes, and unfortunately, typically in the way I see people do it, they're not learning anything. They just jump to it as a strategy, right? This is how I shut down the situation. This is how I make it okay. No, no, no. How you make it okay is you let the pain settle and then yeah, you grow. You and I wish that that can be very reflective in our culture these days. I think we're so quick to to kind of like shut that process of growth. Like I, I, I go back to when I started writing and I I, I've been writing for a long time now. I go back and read my old stuff and I'm like, oh my gosh, cringe much? But hey, I'm not hating it so much as much as appreciating the growth that's happened, you know? I'm not going to go back and start taking down those stuff because I've grown from there. But if I didn't start there, I wouldn't be here today. And I think that can be, you know, I think it goes back to empathy and, and vulnerability. We need to keep, you know, giving room for that. And of course, accountability is a big deal. If people need to be accountable for whatever they've said or done, then let them know that. But shutting people out, and not acknowledging the space near to grow. We've only done this once. Like, we haven't been here before, you know. I mean, some might say reincarnation and all that, but you don't remember what that world was like. But this is the only world you have right now, okay? Let's let's express some <laughs> grace. Now, let's go back to a little bit about the cultures you identify. Can you tell us the ones, the seven you identify? And I find that very rich. I mean, yes. Korea is already too much for me because... I've been learning the language for so long and there's so much I, I get to hear about that excites me. And I feel like learning a new language opens you up to this new cool world where you can express things and cuss out in other languages and yeah. people don't know what you're talking about. But seven, that's mighty rich. So please tell us about these cultures and why you found yourself, you know, being enamored by them. So um, before I go there, I'll answer your other question, which was about oh, diversity. Yes. And so what's diversity to me? I, I um. Really, I, what I talk about is what I consider 21st century diversity, right? So diversity means a lot of things. Um, and there's so much richness in diversity. So I'm not going to tackle all of that because my expertise is in um, that in-between space, right? People who straddle culture, race, ethnicity, nation, or location. And for me, that's the nuance of diversity, right? Those are the spaces that are forgotten. That's diversity in any other kind of diversity that there is, whether you're talking sexual orientation or physical ability or age or skin color or religion, whatever diversity is to you. Within all of those, we have this 21st century nuance that everyone can fit in, but it's only a certain kind of person. So I have a foot in this world and a foot in this world, and I feel like nobody gets me. I feel like I don't fit anywhere. I don't feel like there's a place to belong. And there's some people that don't feel that way. And I got to tell you, for me, when I went to South America, who knew? I mean, I'm South and Central American, but these weren't my countries. But tell me, I felt like I belonged for the first time in my life. Like people got me. I was just me. I wasn't a thing. So people look at visual diversity and they decide who they think you are. So I sound like an American, someone from the United States. I look African-American, you immediately go to certain things that you expect. Now you talk to me for a little bit and you're like, okay, you're just kind of weird because your, your breadth of experience doesn't have you jumping out into what could, where can this person be from? You only go from yeah. what you know and yeah. what you see. 
21st century diversity is that nuance that we might not understand. And I'm always amazed by it. I always find people who have cultures that they've been in that are so disparate and it really affects who they are as people. And it's fascinating. This is why we have Cultures Magazine, right? So to your question about my cultures that I've been in. Okay. So of course the United States, and I'm also a domestic third culture kid. I've lived in many States in the United States. Um, um, Trinidad and Tobago, Costa Rica, Spain, Turkey, Germany, and Hmm. England. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So Turkey, I mean, Spain, England, you know, I, I can't get with Turkey because I try to see which one of these doesn't belong in a group. And I you know, just I mean, again, <laughs> looking at face value. But Turkey, I, I remember you said in your earlier part of the conversation of how you, I think your parents were there for, for a bit. Was that where the love came from? Turkey is my favorite place. Um, I haven't been there since I was 12. That's when I lived in Turkey, right? I don't know. You know, now that you say that, I wonder if Turkey was my favorite place because it's so different, right? Different, like you just mentioned, all those other cultures. Now, Trinidad is very different, but I was yeah, part of yeah. that culture, it's, it's, right? It's, it's, it's what you are. I'll, I'll explain it. It's part of your, I guess, your intrinsic identity. Your, like your, your, your part. Yeah. Your, yes, yes, my yes, yes. My heritage. And yeah. as well, we tend yes. to look at, you know, yes. the things we know, the things we're familiar with. We tend to kind of like, say, oh, I already, yes. I'm already versed at this. Let me move on yes. to the next one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's so funny. I remember a couple decades ago, someone I worked with, um, they're from Nebraska in the, United, in the United States and they lived in Colorado and moved to England and couldn't handle it. Like, didn't even last a year, moved back because for them, the culture yeah. was too different. And I was like, what? That's like the most benign culture. That's like as benign, almost as benign <laughs> as Canada. It's just like the United States. Right. But, um, but that, that's where I say I have to have grace for people. I have to be open-minded that not everybody yeah. grew up like this and remember what they grew up like and how different England would be for someone yeah. like that, right? But anyway, to, to your point, yeah, I mean, Germany actually was probably my most um, shocking place. How so? Right? Not how Turkey. Well, I I lived in Germany when the wall oh. came down, right? Six months after the wall came down. So it was a very tumultuous time. And they were throwing Africans out of the train at the time. The train, the doors and the train in Germany open while, or they used to when, when it was moving and they would push people out. I had two major incidents with skinheads when I was in Germany and, um, you know, you learn to be confident. The whole first month I was there, I would not go out after dark. And I finally had to decide, you know, you can't live like this. Right. And then I had two incidents over time, but you know, um, yeah, it was the most shocking, even the culture. I mean, I was like, can I have a vegetable? Are there any vegetables in this country? Okay. There's cabbage. Any other, it's just potatoes and meat. Okay. That was shocking. Coming from a place where healthful food is really important, like in Trinidad, all the fruit and all the vegetables and everything is fresh. And my mom baked everything from scratch. And man, now I'm, well, they do that in Germany too. The bread is next level. But yeah, it was literally bread, potatoes, and meat. (laughs) Uh, Not so much for stuff, but hey, it's it's different for you, you know, 
again, it's how you yes, yes, yes. But turkey was fantastic. The food. And so actually, that's so funny. It's, you know, thank you. You're helping me unpack this. He's, you're like what my little brother <laughs> did to me. He kept asking questions. And then in the end, I was like, hmm, that was kind of helpful. But, you know, as we're unpacking this, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, Germany was different, even though I'd say, quote unquote, it's more benign. Like people in Western cultures could probably handle that more. But I would have to say Turkey was probably more like Trinidad, right? The spices, the food, the community, more cohesive and family. When I say family oriented, I mean the very... You know, I'm like, I want to be careful here. Yeah. Yes, and religion was yes. important, even though it was a different yeah. religion. Or really, all now that I think it through, I I would have to say it was really more like being um, in a South American country, just very cohesive, very colorful, very flavorful, very warm, all the things. Right? If you think about it, that's exactly opposite of a German yeah. experience or even a British or American Spanish experience. experience. A U.S. experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Good to know. Yes. Good to know. <laughs> now, do you speak other languages apart from English or I know you also learn Spanish. I, I used to, you know, my joke that I tell all the time is I used to speak four languages. Now I barely can speak English. <laughs> that happens. That happens <laughs> to you. So my brain, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, I'm learning. I used to speak French. I don't use it anymore. So I've lost it. But sometimes I find it where mm-hmm. I find it hard to like say what I want to say in English. Like I know that thing. What am I like? Think I'm a Bob. Like I'm trying to come up with the name. I know the Korean name, but yeah. the English words yeah. are failing me. And it's quite pathetic because I learned from English to Korea because I'm doing just one translation. Now I have to like do back translation. Mm. You know. Of Korean to no, English. I, I, I don't know. You need to give yourself some grace uh, on that because when I'm in English and I can't remember words, so when I'm so now um, I'm learning relearning Spanish because my dad unfortunately passed away and it's a part of a tribute that I have to him. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And um, that's his native language and he spoke it so beautifully. His accent was just his Spanish and his English accent were just beautiful. But so anyway, I'm relearning that. And every time I think, oh, it's so hard or why don't I remember that word? I remind myself there's words in English that I don't remember, right? Um, when I, because I translate songs in, from Spanish and TV shows. And when I can't hear and I have to replay, replay, or the words are mumbled, I have to remind myself that in English, the songs are the same. Like, you don't know what they're saying half the time. Just <laughs> sing along or hum along. <laughs> Yes. And so I remind myself and give myself again, I guess our theme is grace. Give our, give myself that grace that no, it's not that you're not getting it or you did it wrong, but it's a song. Like not all the words are going to be um, um, consumable and the same with a movie, you know, I don't know about you, but I watch TV with the subtitles. I do. I always do it. It's why I don't like going to the movies. Yeah. It's always a fun experience. Um, I guess it has to do with the way I process information. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I find that now with Spanish, um, the most proficient language comes next. Pro- the most proficient second language comes next. So when I'm learning Spanish, now that I'm getting more fluent, it's getting less and less. But German words come first. When I can't think of a Spanish word, German words come. And then next, the French word would come. And then, <laughs> then comes the Spanish word. <laughs> 
I think that's one of the, I guess, dangers of being a polyglot. You kind of, the system kind of gets overreading sometimes. Like, ah, I don't know that. I don't know that. Now, well, like you said, you have to practice. You have to keep up with it or, you know. Yeah, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're out yeah. enough now, but I had uh, a few more questions for you. So you've you've been you've been well traveled. You've been in spaces. You've explored culture from different angles. How would you say cross cultural? I guess this experiences you've had has affected your relationships. Like, have you been able to say that you found type? Is it to like settle somewhere? Because I can imagine. I would like to do what you do, but I think about like family units and just. How difficult that can be. Mm. But for those that might be curious to kind of know that aspect, are you willing to share a little bit of that with us? Yeah, another fantastic question. Another fantastic question. So I was with my ex-husband for 23 years, right? And I think, um, not I think, I know I was starting to fall apart. So when we met um, my second week at university in, in the United States, and he had never been anywhere outside of the country, I grew up on a farm in Colorado, right? So <laughs> so um, we traveled and had a great time while we were dating. And then as soon as we got married, like things changed. Like we, we got married in Indonesia, got married in Indonesia, had a honeymoon in Hong Kong, and then came back because we didn't invite anyone. Um, his father and my brother at the time, because we picked the date. We, you know, people pick a date right away. We waited a long time, like nine months. And then we left like two months later. So not everybody could have afforded to come. So we decided, okay, we won't have anyone come. And then we'll have a big party when we get back. So we got married in Indonesia, spent a month there, went to Hong Kong, then came back. And it was like two months of just fantasticness because then it was Christmas when we got back. And then in January, we had this big celebration in Colorado. Okay, so um, we were together for a long time, had got married, went to all the places. And then after we were married, didn't go anywhere. Yes, nowhere, girl, nowhere. So, (laughs) So I was like, you know, I didn't realize, I mean, my whole life, the most I had stayed still was when I was in university. And even then, I went to Germany to study, right? And so who knew, because part of being a TCK is being very adaptable, um, being very resilient. So for about 15 years, I was okay. But then I started falling apart, right? Seeing the same people all the time, hearing the same language all the time, eating the same food all the time, like it was starting to get to me. So my dimension of TCK-ness I need, especially there's, there's 13 dimensions and I have 10 of the 13 Barack Obama. I always get these backwards. Barack Obama has nine of the 13. So it's one or the other, either I have nine or he has 10 or whatever. I need to get that straight. But, but the point is though, that's a lot. Usually when someone's a TCK, they have one or two dimensions, five dimensions. We have a lot. So to be able to straddle all those things, the great thing about it is a lot of people, you understand a lot of other people. You can bridge gaps for many people and build bridges for people. The bad thing about it is not many people understand you fully, right? And so I think I kept myself intact because I constantly was traveling. I constantly was experiencing different cultures, speaking different languages, eating different foods. And now here I found myself married and we had a great marriage, yet I was steadily falling apart, right? And so... um 
we ended up, well, we're divorced now. We've been divorced for 12 years. <laughs> um, for other reasons, but that was part of it too. I think, you know, we would have stayed together had I, once I decided, okay, let me, let's have some space. I realized, oh, it's kind of nice out here. Oh, um, you know, being married was nice and you're great too, but you know, it's kind of nice out here. (laughs) And I got to add that back in. Now I travel more than I ever traveled before. You and I talked about four to 12 countries a year. I mean, having Cultures Magazine, that's one of the beauties of that. We go to these places to find these people and tell their stories and, and also share the cultures. And so I get my fix all the time. So let me tell you, COVID was a thing for me. Woo! I was, I w- first of all, I know it doesn't seem like it, but I'm an introvert. Though after COVID, I'm wondering if I still am an introvert. I'm not sure. But I was always gregarious and outgoing, but I'm an introvert. And I loved being in the house for about 12 or 13 months. I, I barely stepped out to take my trash out. Like, I was digging this. It was me, myself, and I. We were filling our cup. (laughs) Zoom calls every day, but you know, I loved it. Well, then I started to break down. And so my answer was to go to South America. As soon as we opened up, I actually didn't intend. I was looking for, where will I go when we open up? Well, the opportunity to go to to Colombia came. Literally, girl, it was it wasn't even 30 seconds being I already paid for the thing and went and got my plane ticket. Next thing you knew, less than a month later, I was out. Peace out. And I was in Colombia for a couple months. <laughs> and so my team was cracking up. They're like, you barely walk out the door. How did you go to another country, let alone Colombia? But it was one of the best things I've ever done. Best things I've ever done. So, so for your relationship question, back to my ex-husband, if I knew the things I know now, as a matter of fact, I think there's things that the world knows about me because I tell him on TV and podcasts and this and that and in the magazine that he never knew after all those decades of being together because I didn't talk about it back then. I didn't know about this back then. And um, I do think it does affect your relationships. Some people can handle it better than others. It's important to, to that you are aware of who you are and that you can share that with your partner so they know how to best support you and you learn over time what you need. And what I learned is I can't be in a homogeneous environment for 15, 16, 20 years and not fall apart, right? That was, I was pretty resilient. That was a long time tonight. <laughs> but, but what I learned though, that's what saved me when I was younger just taking a little trip here and there, hearing a little a language, he, having food, being away, that made a difference for me. And that's what I know about mm. myself now. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, yeah, just thanks for sharing that. I think there's a lot to be learned, I guess, in knowing oneself. And if you're going to be married to somebody, seeing how you can. I mean, there's some things you don't get to know, like you said. Time will unravel that. But just taking the space that you yeah. need. And I relate with you on that. I get unrest because I like to be on the road. I like to travel as well. And I'm thankful that I'm able to express that. Because there was time I felt very, I guess, just claustrophobic. Like, what's going on here? And I wasn't my true self. And I guess for me, having a podcast where I can get to people, like, talk to people like you and explore, you know, different cultures while sitting down in my room here in Oklahoma. Or even, like, going out on trips. Now we travel together. And he's seen the advantages of that because he's... I mean, he's, 
the way I say we we feed off of each other's energy. He's helped me in other areas as well. So um, I guess the lesson here is just to find out what you want and get the people in your life to be a stake in that. And sometimes it might it might not really work out eventually, but at least hey, you you try mm-hmm. and you you being your happy self. I think that's the lesson here. Well, and you know, people say very often like communication is the foundation of a good relationship, and I really do yeah. believe that. And you know, knowing yourself makes a difference and, and having another person who understands you fully that makes yeah. a difference as well. And yeah, I mean, we, we had a little hiccup and actually he was the stubborn one, even though I left. So, you know what, if he wouldn't have been so stubborn, we'd probably still be together today. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, no, no uh, shade to he's, he's happily married or I don't know if he's happily married or not. He's, he's remarried with kids. Okay. Let's put that. And, um, and, you know, things happen as they should. But I think that was part of my journey. I don't know that I would be here. I don't know that I would have learned these things. I don't know that I'd be teaching this and helping other people, which is my mission, if I hadn't um, not been married. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, all these years later, I'm still single. And girl, I am having the time <laughs> of my life. Yeah, uh, I, before I let you go, I think it's very important to talk about this. Your magazine, Cultures, it's, I mean, I follow you guys on Instagram. I just started doing that and I love your spread. I love that you take different aspects of, you know, different things that fascinate us and that becomes like, you know, the front cover, the cover page and all that. Now, um, how, how's it been like? And I know you guys started not too long ago. And but it's it's, got, it's just good to see culture like different cultures being represented. You had a story on Elon Musk, you had another story on Ahmed Ahmed, one on Japan, and I one on Nigerian clothes and yeah. all that. What has that been like, and um, what have you learned from it so far? Oh, I love it. So like you said, having your podcast, like I'm living my best life, right? Like I'm feeding my soul every day, right? Just hearing other people's stories and how fascinating they are and what their lives are. And I I do want to mention something you said earlier. You barely mentioned privilege, but a lot of people think TCKs live privileged lives. And that's not always the case. You know, if you're an immigrant, if you're a refugee, if you're a migrant, even a, a, um, an international adoptee, there's many challenges that come with being a TCK. But for those in particular, I, I would challenge you to find some of those people that would say, oh, no, I'm privileged, you know, when you're living in a refugee camp, right? And um, so there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum of people that with all different experiences, just like a, all kinds of life, right? But, um, oh, gosh, now I've forgotten oh, the question. Oh, this is about your <laughs> Oh yes, how can I forget okay. that? So my I'm here to remind you. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. Well, you know, when I found out about being a TCK, my mind was blown right up, open, and this is why I didn't used to speak about it. So my husband knew me the, in the before times, right? He knew me, my ex-husband. He knew me um, before I made this discovery, and while I made this discovery, I was with him, and didn't realize the effect that all these changes had on my life. You know, leaving family, leaving home, leaving places that you've grown to love or people you're accustomed to, literally starting over all the time, that has an effect on you. And now that I study it, I see I see myself going through all the machinations. We'd love to believe that studies 
show certain things and we're the opposite. And then, no, no, I, I fall right into that bucket. I'm like, oh, oh, it's my turn for this. Okay, I got it. got it. I know what this is at least. Um, and so when I found out about this information, I wanted to share it with other people because there are many TCKs, actually my best friend in Peru, whom I will see this weekend in uh, Mexico City. He's a TCK. He was born in India, um, grew at age four months, went to Dubai. So he's, his dimensionality is different than mine. He grew up in Dubai, but he's got an Indian passport, right? And then went back to India for college. So can you imagine that? Like you didn't even, his parents are Indian. So of course he has that part of the culture, but he has to go back to a country that he doesn't remember because he was age 0.4, as he would say. <laughs> and, um, and then came to the United States after that. And now he's a digital nomad. I know based on my experience and my knowledge, that has a big part in how he lives his life, right? And how he travels the world and the experiences he wants to have. And so, you know, he was fascinating, but fascinated when he found out this information. And that is what I want to do. I want to change people's lives, people's lives and have them understand themselves better and have better relationships, have them know how to heal themselves and others around them because they have the tools to do so. And that's what Cultures Magazine is about. We celebrate cult cross-cultural identity because everyone should feel like they matter. And we want to have that human connection and give that sense of belonging. So that's what I we love do. That. I love that, you know, um, sense of belonging and connecting people. And they're different stories for different folks. So pick an angle and, you know, so guys, go check them out on Instagram and subscribe to the prints. Now, finally, finally, you've done it all. You've 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 lived such a very rich life, and you're still living it. It's not even the. It's just the beginning for you. It seems. Um, are there any things you would do differently? You know, if you could change some things, and or like Sinatra, wow. would you? When all is said and done, would you probably say you did it all your way? Oh, wow. You know what? Okay, my answer is going to be I wouldn't change anything because I really believe the path is what gets you where you are, right? Like I wouldn't be the person I am today if I didn't follow that path, if I didn't go on that journey. And the lessons I've learned along the way, they've made me who I am. So yeah, I'm, I'm loving this right now. I love your response. Where can people find you and get to know more about your process? Yes, yes, yes. So Cultures Mag, so there's a missing E in cultures. It is plural. And the missing E stands for the hidden diversity of our population, right? <laughs> that was going to be a question, but I forgot. But thanks for letting us know that. I knew it was deliberate. I knew that was deliberate, but I wanted to ask why. Yeah. Oh, so C-U-L-T-U-R-S-M-A-G dot com. And that's also our handle on all socials, Cultures Mag. So definitely follow us. Uh, we actually have some big things coming. You and I talked a little bit. I had a... a a few big, not so great. Well, actually, all of them were great. They all ended up great. But I had a lot of big things happen today. So lots of changes for the magazines coming up. Uh, we will be uh, featured in a video on American Airlines, all of their flights in the flight uh, um, in the month of November. So we're really excited for that. So, Wow. And it's such a huge honor to have you on the show. And please come back again. Thank and you. I, I feel like there's so much stories we can, we can explore through you. Well, everyone, that was it. Um, talking with Ms. Donnie today on her experience, being a third culture adult and also a third culture scholar. If you're liking no, this episode. an adult third culture kid. Adult third culture kid. Oh, gosh. <laughs> adult. <laughs> but wait, you said past the age of 18. Oh, you know what? You know, it's just so true. Yeah. A third culture. <laughs> third culture person. <laughs> 
We've had so much fun, you know, being on the show and, and getting to hear her story and I guess living vicariously through her. As you all know, the lesson of just, you know, cultural curiosity is one of the things we try to, you know, emphasize on the show. So let's keep giving space and, and, and grace to grow and learn from, you know, all of our faux pas because they make us, you know, better people. Well, this is it for now. Catch you guys on another episode of the Marcible Podcast. And I remain your host, Marcible. Bye for now. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morrisville Podcast. Well, guess what? There's plenty more where that came from. So visit our website at www.mosibyl.com. That is www.mosibyl.com, where you can find hours of other binge-worthy episodes just like this one. And while you're at it, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Podbean as it encourages other awesome people like you to listen to the podcast as well. We are now officially on Podbean. It has an app. You can catch up on missed episodes and also get a notification when we have new episodes. Do you have a question for our guest, feedback on the episode, or a suggestion for a future guest? Then please get in touch with us by sending us an email at talktomore@mostable.com or connect with us via Instagram at the Moral Civil Podcast. Cannot wait to hear from you and thank you so much for always listening.